0: Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today we are continuing our sermon series, Building Back Better, exploring the book of Haggai. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at The Vine Church Odium and Church Crookham, and would love to have you join us over there. Here in this little book of Haggai, supposedly a minor prophet, but actually with a major message that I believe is incredibly relevant to us today. So let's have a look in uh, Haggai chapter one and we'll read from verse one. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, But have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Over the summer holidays, I had uh, the opportunity to read um, Far From the Madding Crowd by Thomas Hardy. We were down in Dorset, and I had to read some, uh, some material from uh, Thomas Hardy, uh, who wrote uh, very much from that location in Dorset. But in Far From the Madding Crowd, Gabriel Oak, who is the, the sort of hero, one of the three suitors Of Bathsheba Everdeen. Gabriel Oak is a shepherd and he's in his shepherd's hut and the fire is going and he's forgotten to open the vents in his shepherd's hut. And so he falls asleep slowly and is in danger of dying from smoke inhalation, probably carbon monoxide poisoning. And he is just slowly lulled into a state of sleep and then. Uh, He's about to die. Thankfully, Bathsheba Everdeen happens to be passing by and comes in and discovers what's happening, opens the vents, lets air in, and then has him on her lap, his head on her lap, as he slowly comes around. Now, in the book of Haggai, in around 500, well, not around, exactly 520 BC, the people of God have been falling asleep asleep but they don't realise that they are spiritually dying. And Haggai turns up just in the nick of time to bring the fresh air of God's word into their lungs to revive them. And actually, there is a major revival that takes place as a result of Haggai's message, but before he speaks, the people don't realise that they are in dire straits and that they are dying spiritually. I mean, get the picture, okay? This is a crucial moment in the history of the people of God in the world. It's a spiritual watershed moment for them. The urgent question was this. Would God's people cave in to the pressure around them, give up on the vision, admit defeat, or would they allow themselves to be stirred again to action to rebuild God's house the temple. You see, the temple for the people of God was a really big deal. The temple was the meeting place between heaven and earth, the place where God dwelt until Jesus came to be the new temple and to make his church the new temple. But until that time, the temple would be the vital thing that had to be there and had to be in place. But what a lot of people don't realize today is this, that that temple very nearly didn't get rebuilt. Its existence at the time of Haggai and Zechariah, his fellow prophets, were hanging in the th- on a thread. The temple was in ruins. No one cared. It was about to be lost forever. Now, just before we move on, let me just say this to you. You may think, well, what's the relevance of this message to us today? After all, we're not called to build some temple. Um, How is this relevant? But we are called in our generation, nevertheless, to build something for God. We're called to put God first. We're called to seek God first. We're called each one of us to do something for Him, to build things that will last in our lives. And we're also called collectively to build His church. The church is the hope of the world, as Bill Hybels put it. And so we're called together to also build up his church, as well as to build good things into our own lives, into our communities, into our families, into our workplaces, uh, and into the kingdom. And so this passage is incredibly relevant to us. You see, we also have an urgent task in our lives, And collectively, together as a church, we have an urgent task. But we too, like the people of Haggai's day, face very real distractions, discouragements and difficulties that could stop us in our tracks and cause us to give up on the whole project. So just quickly, Joshua brilliantly introduced the subject last week. I'd urge you to listen back to get the history lesson that builds up to this point. But just to remind you that in 587 BC, the first Jerusalem temple had been built by Solomon but was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. The temple was destroyed. It was burnt down, it was rubble, the stones were, were just left as burnt heap on the ground, Jeremiah had prophesied that one day they would come back and they would rebuild the temple and God would rebuild the the city. Isaiah and Ezekiel had spoken into this during their time in exile during 70 years and said, yes, the time will come when you will come back and God will fulfill his promise to rebuild this temple. And true to God's promise, 70 years later, under King Cyrus in 539, the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians and Cyrus sent the people of God back into uh, Jerusalem and Judah uh, and uh, many of them went back not all of them but those who were keen those who were stirred up went back to rebuild they were sponsored by Cyrus to rebuild they were there who uh, Cyrus supported them in doing so and when they got back you can read it in Ezra, Ezra they began building They they built a foundation for the temple. It wasn't very impressive. It wasn't as big as Solomon's foundation, but it was a good start. They built an altar there on the foundation so that they could start worshiping and start sacrificing. But then they faced opposition. The local Samaritans were against the whole thing. They reported them to the authorities. The then new king uh, of Persia uh, slapped an order on them to stop building. They desisted from the work, and it tells us in Ezra 4 that the work on the house of God came to a standstill. The whole project of God rescuing the world stopped. It tells us in Ezra that they came to a standstill. But now, some 18, 16 years later, They are allowed to rebuild. The new king, Darius, has said that it's okay for them to build. But by now, the people of God have given up. They've lost heart. They have been discouraged. And into this, Haggai speaks. And Haggai says four things over four months. Not bad. Four sermons in four months. That's just one sermon a month. But these sermons were incredibly effective. Haggai spoke pointed, powerful, provocative words to the people of God. I came across an account, you may have heard of this, of a ship's engine that was uh, broken. And they couldn't fix it. And eventually they sent for an old man who was supposedly an expert in fixing uh, ship's engines this expert wandered around, looked carefully at this engine, and got his toolkit out. And then he got a little hammer out and he went to a particular point and he just tapped the point on the engine, at which point, suddenly, the engine spluttered into life and started working again. The ship's owners were amazed, and a week later, they received a bill from the old man for a thousand pounds. And they said, What? He hardly did anything. He just tapped it once. And so the, the man wrote an invoice to them and he itemized the work. And the bill read this tapping with a hammer, £2. Knowing where to tap, £998. You see, he knew exactly how to fix the problem. And Haggai, by the Spirit of God, knew exactly where to hit, what to say to get the change that was needed in the hearts of the people of God. Now, let's just get this clear. What were the people saying? We read in verse 2 that the people were saying, not yet. The time has not yet come for us to rebuild the temple. In verse 2, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, these people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Now, we must appreciate that life in Judah for the people of God was really tough. One historian puts it like this, so far from being a country of happiness, wealth, and prosperity, Judah was a land in which bare existence could be won only by constant struggle and unremitting toil. It was a tough time for the people of God. And when it says in this passage that they, were, uh, they had these, root, these fancy panels, wooden panels in their houses, actually the word for panel there is covering. And the probability is that the people were actually struggling just to get roof coverings on their houses. And meantime, the temple of God didn't have a roof on it or, or walls, uh, but they were struggling to get... Re- now, maybe they also had maybe the governor, maybe Joshua, the high priest, maybe their residences had some nice wooden panels that had been installed in the living rooms and so on. But for many of the people of God, it was a tough time where they were just trying to get reestablished, and they really didn't feel that they had the energy or the ability to build the temple as well as just survive i mean let me just take you if you could imagine this with me to a tea break okay a tea break conversation on the 28th of august 520 bc visionary vera she says do you know i get so fired up by those prophecies in isaiah the lord says the temple is going to be built again And I was reading this morning, in my quiet times, in Ezekiel 43, a wonderful vision of a renewed temple. I mean, I'm really looking forward to this temple being rebuilt, aren't you guys? Well, says Practical Pete, I know what you mean. Well, don't you think we should start rebuilding the temple then, says Visionary Vera. I mean, it's in ruins at the moment. I'm sure we will one day, chips in historian Henry. But do you remember what happened when we tried to do that 18 years ago? Everyone was dead against it. The local Samaritans hired counsellors to discourage us. Then they reported us to the authorities. Then King Artaxerxes removed planning permission. Uh, We were watched by the secret police. Anyone who tried to build was reported. We had to give up and down tools after we'd laid the foundation. One day, we might build, but not yet, maybe in a few years. He's right, argues economist Ernie. The economy is in a parlour state. I mean, harvests have been terrible recently. We planted much, but yields have been very disappointing. Inflation is through the roof. When we put money in the bank at the start of the month, it disappears before we even get halfway through the month. We're all living at subsistence level. Now's not the time to be investing in a temple. I mean, it won't help the economy grow. No, no, we need to get the economy on a better footing. Then we'll build the temple. Not yet. One day. Yeah, after all, says Builder Billy, we'll build a much better temple in a few years time if we just wait. Once we've got our priorities sorted out, I mean, my order books are starting to fill up. I mean, one or two of my customers have had nice wooden paneling installed in their living rooms and things. <laughs> Governors are rubble. Uh, but, but you know, a lot of people are just struggling to get roofs on their houses. I mean, I've, I've been given quite a few jobs. I mean, some people can't afford me, so they're doing it themselves. But you know, it's a tough time. I mean, no, 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 the temple will just have to wait for a better day. One day it will happen. We'll keep it in the 25-year strategic plan, but not yet. Oh, all right, says Visionary Vera. I suppose you're right. I mean, I must admit, even I have been feeling pretty downhearted about the whole project recently. I mean, it was all super exciting 18 years ago. Do you remember when we came back to Jerusalem? It was all new and exhilarating. We were fired up by the prophecies of Isaiah and Ezekiel. Even Cyrus was helping us out. Very enlightened ruler he was. Yes, chimes in Builder Billy. And we did manage to build the foundations. And and we got the altar rebuilt. Yes, said Visionary Vera, we sacrificed, we worshipped. It was the start of a great new day. And then there was all that discouragement and opposition. And now there's just some burnt stones, no wood, and judging by you lot, no will. No, no, says Practical Pete. We will get round to it some day. But you know, manana, one day. Still, shrugged Vera, it's not all bad. I've written a DIY list for the hubby. He's halfway through it, you know. There's a lot to be done back at the ranch. Oh well, she sighed. At least tomorrow is a new moon, a festival, bank holiday. At least we can go and stand around the ruins and remember and sacrifice. And maybe maybe one of the leaders will speak to us or something, but at least we can do that. That'll have to do. You see, there was no sense of crisis in the people of God. There was a slow creeping paralysis, a spiritual lethargy. A deadly drowsiness had descended on the people of God. A deep malaise in the heart of the people. They didn't really believe that they would or probably ever could rebuild the temple. They'd given up on the vision in their hearts. And you see, for us, we, if we're not careful, can get used to doing things and slowly accepting compromise. Slowly we allow things to become normal that really should not be normal. We don't realize how far we've drifted until it's too late. The dangerous state of moral paralysis, which accepts as normal things which urgently need to be changed. And this can happen to any of us. I mean, we all know, don't we, Mark Twain said this, never put off till tomorrow what may be done the day after tomorrow. Uh, I mean, Pablo Picasso said this, only put off until tomorrow what you are willing to die having left undone. And Augustine of Hippo, I mean, he famously, when he was a young man and he was living quite a wild life and he said, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. He then went on to say something very stirring. Augustine of Hippo said, "God has promised forgiveness to your repentance, but he has not promised tomorrow to your procrastination." Let me just explain something very quickly, okay? I do understand and the Bible understands that there is such thing as the timing of God. Sometimes God does delay things. Sometimes It's part of the walk of faith that we have to wait. Sometimes we shouldn't rush in where fools fear to tread. At the moment with COVID, some of us might be quite happy to wait. Some of us might be getting quite impatient and want things to hurry up a bit more. Sometimes we need to be patient. Sometimes we need to wait for the perfect timing of God in our lives. And that can be difficult. But hear me too often we kick things into the long grass because actually we're not willing really to do them we don't see the urgency we don't believe that it'll ever happen we're actually happy to compromise and to live with things because we don't really want to change you see the reality is there is never a perfect time to do things to tackle issues to obey God. We will never have enough resources to do what God tells us to do. We'll always feel inadequate for the task, and there will always be discouragements and difficulties. There'll always be weeds, the weeds of worry, the pleasures that come, the distractions of life that can grow up like weeds around their hearts to choke the words that God has spoken to us to stop us from doing what he's telling us to do. So we can say, for example, I'll take God seriously at some point when life is a bit calmer. I'll read my Bible tomorrow when I'm a bit less tired. I'll pray when I'm less busy. I'll sort that relationship out when the time is right. I'll give when I I have a bit more money and the threat of redundancy isn't hanging over me anymore. I'll go to the church meetings when when my kids have grown up, when the sports season is over. I'll help build the church when things quieten down at work. Let me just finish with a couple of quotes. Joyce Baldwin said this. She's a brilliant commentator on this passage. And she says, what was lacking... Was dissatisfaction with things as they were. Resignation killed faith. The ruined skeleton of the temple was like a dead body decaying Jerusalem and making everything contaminated. How could the offences be removed? By a concerted effort to rebuild, which would be proof and pledge of a change of attitude from resignation. To faith. That's it. You see, priorities have to be got right before the presence of God can be seen and experienced again. And so that's what Haggai says to these people. They say, not yet. Haggai says, wake up. Yes, now is the time. It's always now is the right time to do what God is telling you to do. And so Haggai says, in verse 4, he says to them, you say now is not the time, but listen, God's house remains in ruin. Now is the time to put God first. It's always the right time to put God first. Put first things first. Seek first the kingdom of God, as Jesus said so Haggai says in verse seven and eight, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. He says, think, think on. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. Haggai says, now is the time. You see, in one sense, folks, it's never the perfect time to obey God. We'll never have the ability or the resources in ourselves to do what God asks us to do. But in another sense, it's always the right time to fully obey God because he will always give us what we need to obey him and when we obey him. And so... In verse 2, I love the way Haggai says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. This is the Lord of hosts. He's described as the Lord of hosts. And Haggai says this, the Lord of hosts, that's the, the sovereign God who is more powerful than the king, Darius, who is more powerful than any army, who is more powerful than nature. The sovereign God says, do it. I am with you. I mean, you might think Darius is king, but I'm your king. Your culture around you may say, don't bother. Your hearts may say, no. Your bank account may say, impossible. But the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts says, wake up, be stirred up, go and build. Build the kingdom of God in your life. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to be reconciled to God. Don't delay. Don't wait another minute. Now is the time to decide. I'm wholeheartedly in. Whatever that means, I am all his. Folks, please hear my heart. I'm saying to you today and I'm appealing to you, deal with compromise, if there's anything that's stopping you from wholeheartedly doing what God is telling you to do, now is the time to ask God to give you the strength to put it straight. Don't delay. You might think it's counterintuitive. I, you know, I'm too busy, I've got too much going on. Actually, the opposite is true. When we put God first, he can sort the rest out. And so let's put him first. Let's not allow ourselves to become sleepy and drowsy and half-hearted and compromised. Let's freshly resolve, Lord, I'm all yours. Haggai is such an encouraging message. I'm really looking forward to spending some time in Haggai. Do you know, Haggai actually spoke just as much positive to the people as he did challenge he encouraged them he said i am with you i'm with you i will help you we're going to look at that as we go on through the coming weeks so let's come and let's respond to him can we pray together heavenly father we we come to you right now and we acknowledge that our hearts are full of fear and faltering we feel fragile we often feel that we can't do what you want us to do you know the the challenges we face in our lives you know the difficulties of the day but Lord we thank you that you call us to put you first and you promise that when we do that that you will look after us And so I I ask you now that we would just lay everything before you. Just in prayer right now, I want to ask you, is there something that you know God is telling you to do and you've been putting it off? Is there something that's nagging at you and you think, maybe one day and God is saying, no, no, now. Just settle it with God in prayer. Just give yourself freshly to him. Lord, we do commit ourselves and we thank you that you promise to be with us. You are the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. And so we just commit ourselves afresh to you. We ask you that you would empower us to live wholeheartedly for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.